feel free to follow along on the screens on the side or pull out your Bible apps. I'm going to be reading Matthew 6, 9, 15. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And the next is John 1, 26 through 19. I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, that the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. What is going on, Renaissance? My name is Jordan. I am uh, one of the pastors here. Uh, I've made a lot of uh, questionable decisions in my life. Uh, there was a time in high school I made a lot of very questionable uh, fashion choices. Uh, I was wearing FUBU probably way too long for it to be acceptable. Uh, I've also made some terrible hair choices. And yes, there was a time when I had choices. I know what you guys are thinking. <laughs> Uh, but I've also made some other mistakes, uh, much bigger than fashion or, or hair, uh, mistakes that I'm not terribly proud of. Uh, I've lied to people. Uh, I've lost my temper at, at people that didn't deserve it. Um, I've been unforgiving myself. Um, I've done things that I said I would never do, and I didn't do things that I knew I needed to do. Over and over uh, the centuries, historians and religious experts, people have all wrestled with this question, what is it that we can do so that the things that we have done could be forgiven? Now, for the next two weeks, we're looking at this topic of forgiveness. As we are studying the Lord's Prayer, uh, these two lines in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus teaches us uh, to pray, uh, he teaches us to pray, forgive us of our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us. 30 years ago, the movie Back to the Future had this amazing concept that took our minds um, with such imagination that uh, you can hop into a time machine and go back in a DeLorean with a flux capacitor, and you can go back and, and undo things that you have done. And a lot of us, I'm sure, wish that we can undo some of the things that we have done. Uh, the time that you yelled at your spouse and you saw uh, their face sink. Uh, the time that you yelled at your kids and you, saw, and you knew that you had gone way too far. Uh, the time that you did X, Y, and Z, I bet if we were to list the things that we regret uh, down on a piece of paper, we'd have a long, long list of things. Now, unfortunately, we don't have a DeLorean. Uh, we don't have a machine, a car that we can go into and go 88 miles an hour and go back to a time to redo our lives. But there is something that Jesus gets at in Scripture, there is something that the, the entirety of the, of the Bible talks about that can wipe your slate clean, and that's forgiveness. Now, even though you can't go back and undo it, uh, what we're going to see today is so amazing and so powerful that Jesus literally 
wipes our slate clean, and you and I need this more than anything else. And actually, at the heart of the Christian story is this one theme, is this one topic, forgiveness. The old hymn writer once asked a question, what can wipe away my sins? What can wash away my sins? Now, throughout today, we're going to be talking about a word called sin, and that's uh, offensive to some people, especially if you're new to church or if this is your first time kind of getting back in this whole Christianity thing. And um, if that's you, basically what sin means is uh, it's an old archery term about hitting a mark. And anytime you and I miss the mark, that's what's called sin. And there's a lot of stuff in our lives. This is basically one of the categories that it goes into. Uh, There are things that you shouldn't have done that you did. There are things that you should have done that you didn't do. And there are things that you should be doing that you and I don't do enough. Now, any one of these three things is what the Bible would call sin. And uh, the, the remedy for sin is something that is so remarkable. Uh, it's not us beating ourselves up. It's none of these things. It is found, as we're going to see, in, in Jesus. Now, as much as you and I might not try to think about it, um, it affects us. Uh, and as a matter of fact, a lot of people, when I speak to them, uh, they'll go a couple of months without going to church. And this might be you. This might be your first time back in a long time. And shout out to you for coming out today. Um, a lot of people, you, you feel really guilty when you've done something or didn't do something that you should have done, and you stay away. You try your best to not uh, think about it. But no matter how much we try not to think about it, it's still there nagging us in the back of our minds. And anybody who's ever been in debt... Um, and let's be honest, everybody in this room knows what that feels like, right? My wife and I don't know if, uh, if, if, our, if we'll be able to have a second child, but if we do, his or her name is going to be named Sally Mae. That's just what we <laughs> agreed as the terms to keep, get rid of these student loans. But when you've had a debt, uh, you know that it just doesn't feel right. If you owe someone money, you know what that feels like to go around them, and even if they don't say anything, you're constantly reminded of what you owe them. And here's what Jesus calls debt. Jesus says that our sins are like debts, but God forgives us of them. And we don't have to carry around this heavy weight or this burden. Uh, I remember in college, uh, when I first uh, got there my freshman year, uh, they do this every single year on college campuses. Uh, There's somebody that's there signing people up for credit cards. And they had this like whole big booth in this display, and it had like free basketball hoops. All you got to do is sign up for this credit card. 100% guaranteed you're going to get it. We don't care about your credit history. Everybody gets a credit card. It's like the Oprah giveaway. You get a credit card. You get a credit card. Uh, And the limit was $1,000. I signed up super fast and had never had a credit card in my life. And how long do you think it took me to blow through that $1,000? About a week. I was buying sneakers. I took my friends out to a fancy meal at Red Lobster. It It was a pretty great week. But then the next month, they started to call. And I started looking at my phone. I was like, yo, who is this? Picked up the phone. It was a bill collector because they wanted their money back. And I was so embarrassed that I didn't even want to tell my parents what I had done. I didn't want to tell my parents, hey, I uh, wasted a bunch of money on you know, sneakers and stupid stuff, and now I owe these people $1,000. Uh, I didn't even have the heart to tell them. So I would just carry around this feeling of debt, and it's not a good feeling. And here's what I, I, I want us to get. Jesus doesn't want you carrying around a debt on your shoulders. Uh, Jesus gives us a prescription, and it's this line in the Lord's Prayer to ask God to forgive us of our debts, uh, to ask God to forgive us of our sins. Now, a lot of us, we have a lot of different, different ways that we try to get rid of it. Uh, we try to get rid of this feeling of debt uh, that we owe God or something isn't right. Uh, the first thing we do is we try not to think about it at all. 
right? You don't go back to that restaurant. You delete that number. Um, you move to a different city. You stop talking to this person or that person. But we try our best to just simply not think about it. And uh, here's the problem with that. Uh, if you tried that, I've tried this before, it just doesn't work. Because somewhere down the line, something is going to bring up that thought. Something's going to remind you of that thing. Something's going to remind you of what it was, and you're going to be back at square one trying to figure out this question, what will wash away my sins? Others of us, uh, we try to rationalize it away. You say to yourself, listen, you find somebody that you know that's worse than you are, and you say, listen, I ain't as bad as Keisha, because Keisha would be wild. I ain't do all of that. And apologies to the Keishas in the crowd. This was not <laughs> directed at you directly. Uh, and we rationalize and we say, listen, I'm not Hitler, right? I didn't do all these terrible things. All I did was X, Y, and Z, and we try to rationalize it. And here's the problem with trying to rationalize it, because when you look for people that have done worse than you, you're also going to find people who've been doing better than you. And then you're going to put yourself on a treadmill of guilt, and you'll be mad at yourself because you're not doing as good as someone else. The third way, and this is my personal favorite, uh, we beat ourselves up. Right? And we take ourselves to the corner and give, each, give ourselves Mike Tyson uppercuts and try to punish ourselves for having done something that we shouldn't have done. Uh, and we beat ourselves up. And we feel that if I grovel enough, if I beat myself up enough, then that's going to wash away our sins. But here's the problem with that. No matter how much you beat yourself up, that doesn't leave you with any hope. That doesn't leave you with anything to aspire towards. That doesn't lead you closer to God. All it does is end in a cycle of um, self-deprecation where you're always putting yourself down about what you're not doing um, and how bad you are. And trust me, and this is coming from someone who's an expert at beating myself up, it doesn't work. No matter how much you beat yourself up, it's just going to lead to you doing something else or not doing something else, and you're going to beat yourself up again. So what will wash away our sins? What is the thing uh, that Jesus... Uh, is getting at. Now, Jesus knew, here's the dope stuff about Jesus. Jesus knew that you would make mistakes. Jesus knew that you would sin, right? It's not a surprise to God that you and I are not perfect human beings. And if you are perfect, uh, if you're a perfect human being, then please raise your hand and come up to the front and I'll let you teach the rest of the, today's message. Not even my wife raised her hand. That's, she's perfect to me. Let me not get in trouble. Where are we at? Okay. <laughs> Jesus says a line that's so amazingly powerful, and you've heard it so many times that you'll gloss right over it and miss the meaning of what he is uh, trying to say. He says, when you're praying to pray, God, forgive us our debts. Now, this is who you're praying to. You're praying to God, your Father. And Jesus is saying that when uh, we're praying, that Jesus is teaching us how to connect to God, essentially. That in order for you to connect to God, he's teaching us a pattern of prayer, and we walked through it the last number of weeks, that we have to know who we're praying to. We're praying to God, our Father, and uh, we're not just praying to some distant being in the sky, but God loves us like a dad does. And when you've messed up, when you have sinned, the option for you is to not try to rationalize it away, to not try to sweep it under the rug, to not try to say you're not as bad as someone else, to not beat yourself up, but simply to say, God, forgive us of our sins. Now, this sounds almost too good to be true, uh, that God would forgive us of our sins. And this is partly why the, uh, the, the gospel of Christianity is not called the good advice, but it's called the good news. It's a proclamation of what God has done to make you and God good again, so that it's called the good news of what God has done to make you and God good again. So Jesus tells us to forgive us, ask God for forgiveness of our sins, of our debts. 
Now, this assumes two really basic, uh, amazing truths. It assumes, number one, that you and I need to be forgiven. And that doesn't make you feel really warm and tingly on the inside. Uh, but the second truth, which is, has to be paired with this, is that God does give forgiveness. This is what Jesus is saying, that yes, you need forgiveness, but also simultaneously, God offers forgiveness. God offers to clean us up. Now, I love the definition of what forgiveness is. It says, um, forgiveness is to stop feeling anger towards someone who has done something wrong. To stop blaming someone or to stop requiring payment of money that is owed. I love this. That if we go, if we have placed our faith in Jesus and we go to God for forgiveness, this is what uh, Jesus is telling us in this scripture, that God is not mad at you. You don't have to stay away from God because you, you don't have to feel like God is, tip, you know, you have to tiptoe around God. Actually, scripture says you can go to God, to the throne with boldness. Here's why. Because God is not angry at you anymore. God is not mad. God is not still blaming you. God is not still requiring a payment, and we're going to see all of the reasons why uh, in, in just a second. But if you're hearing any voice that says that God is mad at you or something that's blaming you uh, or something that's requiring payment, guess what? It's not God. It's absolutely not God. Scripture tells us that God's forgiveness is such an amazing thing, and it's such a good news. It's such a good story that we actually have a hard time believing it. Uh, I think there's two big reasons why we don't believe forgiveness all the time. Uh, we don't believe that God does forgive. Number one, and this is probably one that's really uh, hits close to home for me, is that I'm used to dealing with people that don't forgive me. I'm used to dealing with friends and relationships of people that said they forgave me and didn't. Because as soon as we get into another argument, they bring it right back up. Like, oh, yeah, you did what? Well, let me tell you about, uh, and they're bringing up the whole list of things. And even though they said I was forgiven, I really wasn't forgiven. And a lot of us, that's what we do. We transfer these relationships, these interactions to God. And we say, well, since this is how this has worked with my friends, with my family, with other people, this must be what God does too. God must still be in heaven with that list. And he's waiting to whip it out as soon as I mess up again to remind me of all the things that I've done. The second thing that I think we do is uh, the reason we have a hard time receiving forgiveness is because of unbelief. Good old-fashioned unbelief. We don't really believe what Scripture tells us about God. We don't believe it. Now, here's the beauty of this. Um, whether or not you believe or feel that you're forgiven doesn't have an impact on whether or not you are actually forgiven. Now, I've mentioned this the last couple of uh, months. Uh, I owned an apartment in New Rochelle, and I had it for about... Year, about eight, nine years, and for the last two years, uh, nobody was living in it. My co-op board wouldn't let me rent it out to anybody else, and every month, at the beginning of the month, I had to cut a check for a lot of money for an apartment that was just bleeding me out. Now, this was uh, a thorn in my flesh. I absolutely hated having this stupid apartment. I cursed the day I bought this apartment, and then last month, I was sitting across the table from someone who wanted to buy it, and I sold that apartment. I was like, yo, this lady wants to buy this apartment? She's... And I kept on thinking, something's going to happen. Like, somebody is going to catch wind that I'm not supposed to be selling this apartment. Like, somebody's going to stand up and say, no, 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 you still owe something. But everybody signed all the papers, and they let me leave. And uh, what Chase Bank did was they stamped it, paid in full, and I haven't gotten a bill since. Now, here's the beauty of forgiveness, and here's the beauty of this uh, debt being completely paid off even though to this day I actually feel I have anxiety in my stomach talking about it right now because <laughs> I still feel like a bill collector is going to come in here like nah buddy 
We got all of this against you right here. And even though I don't feel forgiven, even though I don't feel less anxious, even though I don't feel like it's over, it is over. Because for the last couple of months, my direct deposit hasn't been touched. <laughs> I am absolutely free completely of that purchase. That is something that will never require payment from me ever again, whether I feel like it or not. I hope that my feelings catch up and I'm not as nervous about this anymore, but regardless of my feelings, I'm still completely done. And this is what forgiveness is. Whether or not you feel forgiven, whether or not you feel like um, you've done enough, listen, if you have placed your faith in Christ, and I'm not talking about just you know, throwing up a prayer to the ceiling and, and just not uh, having regard for what it really means, if you truly confess your sins to God, uh, real forgiveness, whether, you not, whether or not you feel it, uh, this is what the Bible tells us that forgiveness is. It's complete, it's repeated, it's instant, and it's costly. That God's forgiveness of you is complete. Uh, in a scripture that Hema read earlier, John 1, 26 to 29, it says, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not, worth, I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I'm a Jets fan, and this is football season, so I'll give you guys a football analogy. In football, there's something called a takeaway. That means one team had the ball, one team had possession of something, and then the other team takes it away and runs down the field. And if, you're, uh, if you watch the Jets, they get the ball taken from them a lot. <laughs> this is the beauty of God's forgiveness. This is a beauty of forgiveness found in Jesus, that Jesus takes away the sin of the world. And check this out. All other religions and philosophies and cultures have all tried to answer this question of what washes away our sins. And Christianity doesn't offer you a solution. Christianity doesn't offer you a formula. Christianity doesn't offer you any of that. Christianity offers you a person. It says Jesus is the one that takes away the sin of the world. That what Jesus does is complete. There is nothing lacking in what Jesus has done on the cross. And that what Jesus has done will fully and finally satisfy all the wrongdoing that you have done, all the wrongdoing that you are doing, and all the wrongdoing that you will do. And this type of stuff offends people. Now, all of us, deep down inside, we want to earn it on our own, and we're offended by it. In Luke 15, the great story of um, the prodigal son, uh, this one son goes and he blows all his money and spends his, his time sinning purposefully. And he comes back and there's uh, this father that's waiting for him. And it says he runs out to him to meet him. And all the while, there's an older brother that's mad. Like, yo, how dare you forgive him of all the things that he has done? Now, we would love to buck up against this notion that God forgives us, but he does. Whether or not you like it or, 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 or not, God forgives us, and his forgiveness for us is complete. In Colossians 2, 13 and 15, this is a verse that I want you guys to write this down. I want you to read this um, every single morning this week. Uh, Colossians 2, 13 to 15, um, and because um, the best way that I know how to undo the lies of the enemy and to undo the lies that I tell myself are to rehearse truths found in Scripture. So Colossians 2, 3, 13 through 15, uh, this is something that you, we, you and I need to beat this into our heads. Um, it says, when we were dead in our sins, um, in, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, 
God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it all away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, I underlined, um, canceled, taken away, and nailing it to the cross. And here's the beauty of the gospel. Here's the beauty of what the life that God offers us in him. Uh, Jack Miller says it like this. God is better at redeeming than you are at sinning. God is a much better redeemer than you are a sinner. You're an okay sinner. Some of you guys above average, I've seen your Instagram pages. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Don't, unfollow, don't block me from your page. No judgment. Our Heavenly Father is better at redeeming than we are at sinning. You and I are no match for his grace. Romans 6, what does it say? Uh, that where sin abounds, grace abounds, that much more. That you cannot out-sin God's redemptive power. Or let me say it like this. There has never been a diaper uh, of Jameson, my son, that I couldn't change. There's never been one time, and there have been some terrible ones, where I've looked at it and said, I don't know. I don't know about this one. This one might last till he's a teenager and he's going to be made fun of for having to smell the stench that's coming behind him. Listen, there's never been one time because I'm better at changing diapers than he is at making a mess. And this is what the complete forgiveness that Jesus offers us that we see here in Scripture, that he's taken it all away and he's nailed it all 100% to the cross. And this is God's love and his reckless love for us. Now, um, this is why it's so important for you guys to understand why God's forgiveness is complete. Check this out. There are so many things in our lives that will happen to us. Uh, sometimes life will be good. Sometimes life will be difficult. Jesus promises us that in this world, you will have trials and tribulations. In this world, you will have difficult things that come to you. And if you believe that God's forgiveness of you is kind of incomplete, when something bad happens, you're going to be blaming it on the time that you, you know, you filled up Pepsi in a water, in a, in a water cup at Chipotle. You're going to be thinking that God has it out for you, that you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And you're going to be believing that when bad things happen to you, when difficult things happening to you, when suffering hits your door, it's because God is trying to repay you for what you've done. But let me, let me tell you exactly like it says in Scripture. God does not have it out for you. God does not punish people who have put their faith in Jesus uh, God offers us discipline and correction. God would not be a good dad if he just let you rock out any old way uh, without correcting you. And God does offer us correction and discipline, and that's because he's a good father. But God is not out to punish you. God is not out to get you back for anything because all of it, all of what you've done has been nailed to a cross. Not only is God's forgiveness um, uh, complete, um, as it says in the, uh, in, the, in the New Testament, the word for complete is teleo. And uh, let me dig back into my uh, New Testament Greek for a second. Uh, as long as I got the student loans for this stuff, I got to keep on talking about uh, what I've learned in seminary. Uh, the word in, in Greek is uh, teleo, which basically means it is finished. And this is what Jesus said on the cross. His last words were, it is finished. It is done. And basically what would happen is when you owed a debt, when that debt was paid off 100%, they would stamp it to Leo. When a person went to prison and served their sentence, when they were done serving their sentence, they would stamp it to Leo. It is finished. It is done. It is complete. There's nothing else you need to add to it. What you have had has been taken and thrown in the garbage. 
If you want to go back and, and go uh, trash surfing for it, then that's on you. But God has taken it completely and finished it and finished the work. Not only is God's forgiveness complete, um, but God's forgiveness is instant. Now, all of us, let me not say all of you, I love it when a person apologizes to me for something they've done, and I want them to feel bad for like a couple of weeks. They don't have to feel bad forever, but just maybe a month, depending on how bad it was. I, I need to see snot bubbles coming out their nose when they apologize for what they have done to me. And I don't give forgiveness instantly. It's not something that I can do um, well. Uh, but God's forgiveness of us is instant. That there's no amount of groveling that adds to it. There's no amount of um, anything because since God's forgiveness is complete, that means it's also instant. Uh, there's a scripture, 1 John 1 and 9, that says it like this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That God is more faithful than you and I are. That if we confess our sins to God, if we go to God, we don't hide it. We don't try to sweep it under the rug. We go to God earnestly and confess that he forgives us and that forgiveness happens instantly. And even if you don't feel it, it still happened. Even though I don't feel forgiven by that bad mortgage I had years ago, it's still forgiven. And not only is it instant, uh, but it's also um, God forgives us. Since his forgiveness is complete, that means even the stuff we do repeatedly, God has completely forgiven it. Romans 7 is written by a dude named Paul, and Paul wrote like two-thirds of the New Testament. He wrote so much of the letters, and this is what Paul says about his own life, and this describes me sometimes to a T. He says, for I do not do, uh, or for I um, have the desire to do what is good, right? I want to do what's right, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Here's what Paul is saying. There are good stuff that I want to do, and I don't do it. There's bad stuff that I want to avoid, and I don't want to do, and I do that. That his life is not a man that has, that's perfect. He's not, you know, he doesn't have a chapter in his life where, well, you know, back in the day I sinned, but now I'm perfect, I'm squeaky clean. He's saying, no, uh, what a wretched man that I am, in verse 24. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, this is very true, especially for anybody in here who's struggling with any addiction of some sort, uh, that you've made the same mistake over and over and over and over again. And you probably think that God must be tired of you even coming to him with uh, this problem, this sin again. You feel like God is in heaven, like, look at this boy. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. He didn't even change the drink order. He did the same thing this time. Since God's forgiveness of you is complete, nailed to the cross, even the things you are presently struggling with, we can confess it to God and you are forgiven. Regardless of what you feel, even the stuff that you're embarrassed about, even the stuff that you've gone like 20 times already doing the same thing, God has paid it in full. Lastly, the last thing we see about forgiveness is that um, it's costly. Uh, God's forgiveness is not done by looking the other way, by being indifferent or that he doesn't care about it or by being weak. Uh, God's forgiveness may not cost you anything, but it cost him a whole lot. Think about it like this. If, I, uh, if you owed me $200 and if I forgive you, uh, you are not required to pay anything else, but I am still short of that $200. When it's time for me to look online and try to buy some new sneakers, I'm not getting them. 
right? Because I don't, that's $200 less I have in my account. That all forgiveness, all forgiveness is costly. That the person who was offended must absorb uh, the, the, the pain, the debt, the sin that was committed. That this doesn't all go out into space somewhere, but that God ha would have to absorb it. In Mark 10 and 45, Jesus describes it this way, that the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I love that movie back in the day, um, uh, Ransom with Mel Gibson. And it's talking about the exchange of something extremely valuable for something that's more valuable. And for Mel Gibson, it was his son that was uh, caught in, by kidnappers. And listen, this is what Jesus is saying, that, he, that God gave us Jesus uh, to be in exchange for us. And this is why some people stumble and they think, but why didn't, why didn't God just say you're forgiven? Like, why did Jesus have to die? Because this is the truth. In this world, all forgiveness is costly. If you forgive anybody for anything, it will cost you. It means you're, you are forgiving the debt. You are canceling the charges against someone. All forgiveness is costly. But this is the beauty of it all. That when we look at the costliness of what God had to pay for you and for me, we see how valuable you and I are to God. We see how much God desired for you to be in a relationship with him. We see how much God wants you. That God doesn't just tolerate you, that God wants you. And it's such a privilege and a blessing, and it's all created by what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Over and over again in Scripture, uh, you see Jesus' purpose here, uh, not of one just to teach good sermons, but to be our substitution uh, theologians call this principle substitutionary atonement, that in order to make us right with God, something had to go, something had to die, and Jesus took our place, the thing that we deserve, Jesus got, and we get what Jesus deserved, which is a life with God. And that's the beauty, and that's the heart of Christianity. This is what Jesus is teaching us. The heart of Christianity is that this, God wants you to be in relationship with him, God our Father, and he knows that there's a chasm between you and him called sin, and the remedy for it is Jesus Christ, that God has nailed all of our sins to him on the cross so, so that this, you and I could place our faith, our real faith, not just a, a, a sentence that we say, but we can really place the weight of our faith, the weight of our hopes, the weight of our expectations all on Jesus because he has given us everything. Now, most of us, um, when we think about forgiveness, we do it in uh, this way right here. We start to think about um, all of the things that we've done wrong, right? So, we think about what did we do, and if this were your matrix, if this were the thing that you were filling out, uh, you'd probably have a, a good amount of stuff to put in these boxes. So what did you do? These are just some examples. You lied, you cheated on your taxes, you watched pornography, you were lazy, right? And then we think, well, this is, if this is what I did, then who am I? I'm a mess up. And we pile on guilt after guilt after guilt. Well, if this is who I am. If I'm a mess up, then what has God done? And we feel that God has ignored us, and God is failing us because it's not all it's cracked up to be because we keep on messing up. And if that's true, then who is God? God is distant. God's not really helpful. God is mad at me. And this is the way we approach repentance and forgiveness. But this is uh, the wrong way of how you want to go at it. Everything that we are trying to get at is answering the question, who is God? And then from that, who are we? And then what should we do as a result? So this is what biblical repentance looks like, and I want you guys to start thinking about uh, how you can approach this this week. Um, who is God? And we've seen that Jesus came to show us that God is a good father. God is our redeemer. How do we know this? Because God has sent his son Jesus to be atonement for our sin. 
that he nailed all of my sin completely to the cross. And God, as it says in 2 Corinthians, God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And if God did all of this for you, if God sent his son Jesus for you because you're valuable, then who are you? You're redeemed. You're loved. You're cared for. You're corrected. You are a beloved child that is secure in the hands of their Savior. So what should you do as a result? You can grow. You can repent. You can confess to people in your community group. You can confess to people in community. You can ask God for forgiveness of sins, and you can run to the arms of a gracious Savior. But here's what I found. If you flip that equation, if you put you yourself as the centerpiece of this universe of what makes you and God good again, you're going to get it all wrong. You're just going to feel guilty, and you're going to get caught in this endless cycle of guilt and shame. Jesus came to break the cycle. Now, in just a moment, I want to lead us in prayer, and I want you to start thinking about uh, the way that you see God. And I want you to see God, as it says in Scripture, that the best way for us to get a good picture of who God is is to look at Jesus on the cross. That Jesus is the invisible image of the, he's a visible image of the invisible God. And if you want to know what God is really like, you've got to look at the cross. Let me pray for us in, in just a second. And I want you to start thinking about different things, uh, ways that you've tried to make you and God good again, ways that you've tried to make things right, and ways that you haven't just put your faith in, in, in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, so often I haven't started with the acknowledgement or the focus of who you are. Uh, God, I confess right now that you are a good father. You are a redeemer. And God, let that be the thing that I put all of my attention on. As the Hebrew writer says, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. God, we've taken our eyes off of him so often. God, I ask that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on him. And God, you have... Um, sent your son Jesus to die for me, and that is a thing that makes you and me good. I don't have to rationalize it or beat myself up. I, I can uh, come to you who freely pardons us our sins. God, help me to make much of you. Uh, God, that you are better at redeeming than I am at being a mess up. God, help me to feel uh, loved and cared for. God, out of this, help me to grow, to confess, to repent, to not run away from you uh, when it's time, when I know I've made a mistake, but to run to you. God, in your arms, I know I can find forgiveness. God, would you lead us to you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.